Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B podcast. I'm Alex from X-Growth. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out about their successes, fails, and what's working for them in the market. If you enjoy the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share the pod with a friend. And of course, make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack to connect with our members. That's enough from me. Let's dive right in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with X-Growth. And today I'm talking to Joanne Schofield, Director of Marketing APAC at the Access Group, about how should B2B organizations approach building a marketing plan that will actually result in generating pipeline in 2022. On that note, let's dive in. Joanne, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Shaheen. Great to be here. Super excited. It's, uh, it's towards the end of the year. And, and this episode is going to come out either towards the end of the year or early next next year, um, which is really timely. A lot of people are doing marketing plans. They are, you know, putting all, all those bits and pieces together. And I think it's it's really timely for us to talk about how do you go about and put put a marketing plan together? Uh, how does that look like? So I want to I want to start with that question of where do you start when you want to put a marketing plan together? Where do you start? I know you'd probably get people saying at the beginning, uh, because that's an obvious one, but where is the beginning? So it's really with the business goals. I think there's a tendency for marketers to dive straight into marketing goals and and not necessarily checking how they align to business goals, because business goals can often be very varied and broad. So it's really about defining the subset of goals as it relates to marketing. So I think we've got to sometimes stop ourselves from diving into that tactical approach Um, because we've got to also be able to measure those outcomes and tactics don't necessarily start from the right place around things like measurement. Um, So I think there's a a reason why marketers do that. It's often because things can't be measured or it's often it's difficult to define, you know, what, what should the outcomes look like? And I think if, if that's coming up for your, your listeners, I think the one thing that has to has to happen as part of the planning process is what can I fundamentally change about the process that allows for me to be able to measure my outcome or my team's outcome. I guarantee you that if if your listeners do that, if they demonstrate that a fundamental change to process will provide visibility around commercial outcomes, people won't fight that. So the, even though the business goals may be broad, it's then about defining which goals marketing must align to support. So for mis- most marketers, this could be a mix of, of growth, revenue, or cost. Um, all of those goals, they carry a commercial number that marketers often find really challenging to align to. So defining that goal and measuring it is absolutely key. And the reason it's key is because without it, marketing is just simply a cost center. So at Access, the way that we look at this is it's predominantly, and there are other goals, but it's predominantly a sales and marketing pipeline goal. So that's to align to the business goal of driving organic growth, comprising new business and existing customer growth. Got it. Got it. Got it. So think about, think about that, that pipeline revenue where, you know, where would you start with that? So that's, that's interesting because, you know, I've, I've been in situations where somebody comes in and be like, okay. Our target for next year is $5 million. And, uh, and you're like, okay, 
that's 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 cool to have that business objective. But you know, if you give me, I can't I can't generate five million dollars out of fifty thousand dollars, right? How how do you decide on those revenue and pipeline targets from from marketing perspective? It's it's a great question because the, often they are handed down exactly as you said. It's this because it's based on a percentage growth increase from previous year. You may be in a startup where you literally are starting from scratch and the number is quite arbitrary. Uh, I think having history to be able to back up if that's a feasible target is is really helpful. Um, but the process that we undertake uh, at Access is we start from the goal in mind. So, so we take that $5 million and we work backwards. So we start with the projected growth expectations, which get applied. So let's assume that $5 million is somewhat realistic because we've got history to determine that you know that that's a, a significant growth rate or it's a growth rate that is achievable across the business not just from a marketing perspective and then we look at how it gets applied to sales bookings or what we call order intake so that we then look at all the historical conversion factors so that's if you start with the goal in mind which is your order intake number so that's your sales bookings number and then you start to work backwards. Your pipeline, for example, should be around three times that number. Now, that's a reasonably generic number, but in most cases, you'd have historical conversion factors by product, by portfolio, and you apply those. So I can't emphasize that enough. I'm just giving you an example of what the average is, but if you've got historical conversion factors, those are the numbers that you need to understand. Um, and plug into your model. So let's assume it's three times that number in pipeline for a new business. For existing customers who are purchasing a new product, it might be 2.5 times, or an existing customer adding more of what they've already got, it might be, say, two or less. So then we take those historical conversion factors, we apply that to the pipeline value. So we've taken, let's say, new business, we've times the average order by three, and then we determine through an average order value, what's the volume of sales qualified leads that we need to apply. And then we work the same way again for the marketing qualified lead. You're occasionally you're going to get arbitrary numbers in there and you have to challenge that. But what it does, is you've got, first of all, you've got the ability to measure something so you can manage it and you can start having conversations if you have a ridiculous number applied to a marketing qualified target. You're like, well, that's not achievable with the budget I've got. Maybe we need to rethink. Is it a messaging issue? Is it a product issue? Is it just not viable in the market? So already you can start to see the conversations that will challenge your marketing plan in the right way because you've got the data there to support it. And don't forget, we've also got to consider that sales and marketing conversion factors are really different. So sales will typically convert a lead that they've self-generated at a much higher conversion rate than marketing. So that's got to be factored into the model as well. Got it. Yeah. So so the source of the that opportunity or lead is extremely important as well. It it it's, is going to change the the conversion rates later on in the in the um, in the funnel and the sales process. I think that's a, such an important point to uh, to to raise because a lot of companies would. Some of the smaller companies, in my experience, maybe they've, they've done a lot of work through maybe the founders' connections. And then they're like, hey, we're going to go maybe have an inbound or an outbound strategy. And they're like, so our pipeline looks like this. And you're like, no, that's a, that's a referral pipeline. That is, those numbers are way different when you're looking at different cha- the other channels. So I think that's a such, such an important point. Okay, let's say 
I have my numbers in place. I know, you know, in terms of leads and in terms of opportunities, what I need to, uh, what I need to hit. Where do I go from there? What, what are the, what are the next steps? So I'm really fortunate enough to have a, a solid and fantastic, capable product marketing team. And I realize that some listeners might go, that's a bit of a luxury. And uh, what if I don't have that in my business? Um, look, I, I haven't had product marketing through my whole career. So it is it is a wonderful, wonderful thing to have because it really uh, cements that voice of the customer. So it's a, it's about what's happening in the market and what are our, what are our customers telling us, how that relates to them. So you can still do that. And obviously, I've done that in many of the roles that I've had. Uh, but it's, it's very nice to have someone who's fully qualified in product marketing to be able to bring this to the table. So um, we'll often start with the current state. So we look at simple, simple, what's working and why, what's not working and why. And then we look at the ideal customer profile against that current state review. So that will typically lead into uh, a refinement, maybe of messaging around the solutions that could already be in market. But we've, you know, I know that this is probably marketing 101 to a lot of listeners, but, you know, making sure that narrative is about pain points and not exclusively products is really important, you know. And, and I think it's really easy to fall back into, oh, we've got these amazing features and functionality because we sell products. And, and you sort of got to keep coming back up to, okay, but why does the customer care? So the so what factor. We've also, we're really fortunate. We've got a, a sometimes it's a, it's, a, it's a good thing and sometimes it's, it's hard. Uh, we've got a plethora of products from the UK. So we have this option to be able to assess the market around suitability for bringing those solutions to market where there might be an opportunity, but we've also we're also able to acquire locally uh, capability potentially that that can't be brought down or can't be localized. So that makes for a really interesting dynamic when you're building your marketing plan. Because there's lots of shiny new things, but uh, you know we've also got a really sizable and loyal and and long serving customer base that we need to keep delivering value to. So I think. Uh, you're going to have a lot of different design thinking within the room and a lot of cross-collaboration across functions. Um, and it's easy to, to be the magpie and go, oh, that, that looks great and we should do this. But you've got to also plan for the fact that it might be some time before that's a minimum viable product that you can bring to market. So I think the messaging really anchors the, the product set and the, and the messaging and the customer base that you have, making sure that those ideal customer profiles are really succinct and are constantly reviewed and that the messaging is, is is really an anchor point from where you go, you step off next. I, I talked briefly about making sure there's collaboration across go-to-market stakeholders, sales, product, customer success. They've got to be part of the planning conversations. Otherwise, you just, you're literally, you're rowing in a race by yourself. And so, you know, it's important that at the table, there's agreement around the various target customer cohorts. And it's amazing how when you have that conversation, it really flushes out the uh, these these big ideas around. Okay, well, actually, is that plausible in the in the period for which we're planning? And then lastly, we look at we look at applying once we've got that fully agreed across all stakeholders. We look at the campaign concepts against each of these. So you know, the last thing you do is the how. Uh, we look at past digital performance. That's a really key data set that drives decisions around what we invest in to drive the outcomes. But the the plan ultimately, and this is the, the full circle moment, the plan is not final until the activity can be mapped against a forecast that will achieve or ideally overachieve the pipeline goals that you started with. Got it. 
Got it. Okay. I love that. So, you know, once you have those numbers in place, once you have that pipeline success metrics in place, look at the ICP, discuss that with sales, make sure that you're all on the same page and everything is 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 mapped out properly, then start looking at messaging and then think about campaigns, right? Did I get that get did I get that correctly? Absolutely. Got it. Okay. Tell me a little bit about some of the mistakes you've made until getting to this yeah until getting to this because it's it's you know it might might be intuitive for you right now but i know that you you probably have gone through multiple iterations and and oh that doesn't work or this doesn't work or you've seen other people other marketers go through that what are some of the mistakes that either you've made or you see that marketers make when they're trying to put a marketing plan together yeah i look i've i i've made loads but you know that's the benefit of hindsight is a wonderful thing and i'm a confident i'm a confident person i'm a confident marketer but actually i want to talk about confidence a little bit more because often it was lack of confidence to change the process so this simple act of being able to assign a value when an sdr passes a lead ready to be accepted by sales i mean it's such a simple concept for you to be able to demonstrate the commercial value that you bring to the business. You know, I wish I'd had that confidence to make that change earlier in my career to say, no, the process as it stands right now doesn't work because of many, many different reasons. But primarily, how can we ascertain if we have confidence in the marketing plan to achieve the order intake number if we can't ultimately measure the contribution we're making now? And I know people define measurement in lots of different ways, but it really was a breakthrough for me to say, actually, this is the language of the CEO. When he's looking at your SQO number or your SQL or MQL or whatever terminology or model you use, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but the eyes do tend to glaze over when you're talking about a volume number and not a value number because it doesn't give them an immediate line of sight to achieving that that ultimately the sales target. So I think I wish I'd had the confidence to be able to challenge the process instead of accepting the status quo and really being quite fixated on the value contribution rather than just being perceived as a cost center continuously and having to always fight for budget when you can't really prove what that budget has actually delivered to the business. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Now, you talked about SDRs. I want to come back to that. But before talking about SDRs, you also touched on, again, measurement. And you, you, you brought that up and really talking about the, the talking in the right tone to the, to the leadership outside of marketing. How do you approach marketing sourced and marketing influenced revenue? I, lo- I love this question because it's so messy. Because there's all this debate that happens within organizations and you, you say to a seller, well, is that influence or is it sourced? And they're looking at you like you're from Mars and we don't care. We just want the deal and a lead is a lead. We own the total sales and marketing source pipeline at Access. That's still a big change and an adjustment for everyone involved. And it takes some adjusting too, as well as for sales. There's a, um, a kind of why. Why do we own that when the investment that we have around budget is firmly invested in marketing sourced? But it means it really it, it really means that we don't actually have a conversation about marketing sourced and marketing influenced, right? Because you could say that the marketing influence comes in the support of the pursuit of supporting self-gen for sales. 
So part of the marketing plan is to ensure sales actually have what they need to be successful to self-generate. So with higher conversion rates that we talked about earlier, and they have much faster close rates against those conversion rates, of course, even if you have a high performing marketing engine, if sales are not self-generating or you're not providing support for that self-gen, the business is ultimately not leveraging every facet of capability it has to achieve those goals. I use this, it's a bit crude, the analogy, but it's you're leaving money on the table because you have this capability, this strong capability within a sales organization that should be leveraged to best effect. And that's where you start to get this really much different conversation with sales because you're, you're, you're measured on the same outcome. So it really dynamically changes the conversation internally when marketing has to take ownership of the, the whole pipeline. It forces that you know, closer relationship and, and mutual understanding of you know, that we're all pulling to achieve the same outcome. So while Access is really, really new to this market in, in Australia, we've really only been here since the beginning of, of 2020, the UK team just won the B2B Marketing Team of the Year Award for UK B2B Marketing Awards. And this model really underpins that win. That's really cool. That's uh, that's a that's a very interesting concept that you say marketing owns a pipeline and I feel like sometimes marketers are like, "Oh, but how do we how do we contribute to the other parts of the pipeline?" And um and I think that's where kind of pipeline acceleration, sales enablement come into play where, you know, if if just like you said at the beginning, if if they have the numbers of different stages, then one of the marketing objectives could be, "Hey, if, you, if we're looking at a 30% conversion at, over here, how can we bring that up to 35% conversion? Or how can we, you know, sales cycle is another component. If, if it's taking 100 and something days, 120 days, how can we bring that down to 100 days? And can we enable sales better if they enable sales better to do that? And I don't think that's going to exactly. happen. Exactly. They're absolutely the right questions. Yeah. I don't, and I don't think that's going to happen unless, unless, you say marketing, you own pipeline, which is which is very awesome. It, it is. It's terrifying and it's awesome all at the same time. And, and listeners will probably be really, you know, that as well. But it, what it what it actually affords is if you're not seeing the performance that you wanted to see in the marketing side of things for whatever reasons that may whatever reason that may be, you've got you've got a backup. You know, mm-hmm. so you've got the sales self-gen model. If it's working well, you've got the ability to overachieve on that. So that there's balance and, and the, ultimately the goal is achieved. So it's it allows, what it allows is the the North Star metric of order intake is at the forefront. You know, it's 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 very polarizing. Um, and I love that the, the conversations change dramatically when there's that that joint ownership to, to get to the number. I, think I would imagine. Piece. I'd imagine. Mm. I, I think, you know, it also will get marketing quite a lot more involved with the sales team and therefore it just generates certain insights for the marketing team that they would not have because they were previously they were so removed from that what happens after they kind of hand over a an MQL to sales. So that's um that's that's very interesting and, and I love that model. The other question that I want to ask, I want to come back to the SDR. Sales development lead, market development lead, lead development lead, uh, rep. Sorry, all, all of those are, are reps. But SDR, LDR, MDR, whatever you want to call it, why is that role an important part of the equation for you? It, well, it's absolutely critical. You know, they they bring all of the pipeline mechanics that I've speak, spoken to together. 
So at Access, the, our SDRs are gold on marketing the marketing source number because the cost for the SDRs actually sits under marketing. And that actually is an important differentiator because there's a lot of conversation around should it report to sales, should it report to marketing. I think Serious Decisions says that it's actually around about 50-50 in terms of reporting lines to sales and marketing. The important difference is whilst the cost sits under marketing in terms of headcount, the pathway is still sales because they are ultimately still sellers. And, you know, some some do move into marketing, but the, the most the majority want to move into a sales role moving forward so I think that that's quite key but of course we're also trying to aspire to achieve these amazing conversion rates that sales will generate themselves and SDRs are really key to achieving that but I think the the most important thing the most important role they have is they're kind of like this quality assurance team right so they're assessing and constantly feeding back what's a quality lead so they have conversations with the, the sellers that they're aligned to because that seller has to accept that lead. And until they do, it doesn't count as pipeline. So it's 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 not visible as a value or a contribution. And so they build rapports with each other to understand, help me make sure I'm qualifying to a really high level so that your conversion factors are, are really strong. Um, and on the flip side, that feedback back to marketing to say, I wouldn't try this again or this we could tweak it in this way. So they're, they're part of the planning process, they're part of the dialogue and the teams we meet, well, at the moment they're meeting a lot more regularly, but it's usually weekly to say, tell us what's going on with the leads that you're working in the queue. Provide us with that direct feedback. And sometimes that can be a missing link in, in teams. Even if they report into marketing, sometimes that that dynamic, that circular dynamic is not uh, is not happening or marketing just haven't joined the conversation. Joanne, this has been absolutely awesome and you've shared so much insight and, and, and you know, I think you've structured the process really well. Before kind of moving to the rapid fire questions, is there anything that you feel like we should cover that maybe I didn't ask or we need to touch on? Is, does anything come to mind? I think it's just reiterating that, you know, measurement is key. In order to have and keep that seat at the table, we need to be able to demonstrate our contribution to the overarching business goal of growth. But also remember it's iterative, never stops changing. It's got to be reviewed constantly. So that's, yeah, that's how I would summarize the the model that we've built. I love it. All right, let's do our rapid fire questions. So the first question is, what is one resource it could be a blog, it could be a book, a podcast, a talk, whatever it is that has fundamentally changed the way you work or live that, that comes to mind. Well, of course, I'm not going to choose either of those things. It's actually the design thinking assessments, things like Herman Brain Dominance Index, Gallup Strength Finders, teaching people, teaching you what motivates individuals. So for me, that's been a real key change in the way that I lead is understanding how what motivates people. You know, you want diversity in your team. Uh, you you sometimes come across people that are similar to you and it's horrifying. You know, you're looking for someone that's completely different and, and is happy to challenge the status quo. And I think these these assessment tools, if you can get your team uh, engaged or, or if your company's happy to fund some of these, they're, they're game changing. They really give you a deep insight into the team that you're working with. Question two. If you could go, if you could only give B two B marketers one advice, what would that advice be? Walk a day in the shoe of a seller. I love it. Question three: 
what are some who are some of the influencers that you follow on a regular basis in the in the b2b space you know i really uh i like andy lack i know people probably say that all the time a fellow kiwi but also he's just there's there's no bs he's straight down the line he calls it as he sees it and he's got this you know really diverse experience that you sort of go oh you've you've lived and breathed that got into the weeds and, and it just feels really authentic. But I also like Thomas Barter. He does these um, marketing in a minute um, and they're just little, they're just little things that remind you, you know, to stay the course and, and just, yep, what you're doing is the right thing that just reminds you of how to go about it. I love it. We'll, we'll definitely make sure that they're in the, uh, in the notes of the, uh, of the show. Thanks for that. And the last thing that I uh, question that I have is what is something that excites you about B2B today? You know, initially, um, I thought it's got to be tech, but I'm actually really curious to see what we do as we sort of start to come out of this this whole hybrid way of working. You know, this fundamentally changes the dynamics of how people go to market because, you know, we've got this mobile workforce. So I'm, I'm sort of curious to see how that changes the way marketers go to market. Yeah, the, G, the post-pandemic GTMs. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Well... Joanne, this has been an absolutely awesome conversation. I uh, I really enjoyed this, and there's the, I feel like there's so much insight that you've uh, you've you've shared here and, and summarized the whole marketing plan approach really nicely. So uh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, and and thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Shaheen. I really enjoyed the conversation as well. It's it's nice sometimes to stop and think about the things you do on a day to day basis. So I appreciate the invitation. My pleasure. This episode of Gross Connie was produced by Alexander Hipwell. It was edited by Dave Samito with additional editing and music also by Alexander Hipwell. Special thanks to Tina Wabe and Rod Hoda. We couldn't make the show without you. The show is hosted by Shaheen Hoda. If you enjoy the episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or share a pod with a friend. If you'd like to connect with the members of Growth Colony, join our free Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Thanks again for all the support and looking forward to seeing you in the next one. This podcast is brought to you by Xgrowth, an account-based marketing agency with a strong specialization in the APAC market. If you're starting to roll out an account-based marketing initiative in your firm or looking to take your current program to the next level, whether it's one-to-one, one-to-few, or one-to-many, don't try to do it all alone. Chat with the ABM experts at Xgrowth to see how they can help you both on strategy and execution of your next ABM campaign. To find out more, head to www.xgrowth.com.au. That's www.xgrowth.com.au.